Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Phil Fraser. Good afternoon to you, sir. Afternoon, Pete. Nice to see you. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Listen, thanks for coming on the show. It's listen, it's great to have you on. You are uh, you're, you're well, you're, you've a lot going on. So first of all, tell us, you tell us who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Okay, so uh, my name is Phil Fraser. Uh, I'm currently in Spain, but I'm normally based in Leeds, and I'm a business sounding board. Hmm. Break that down. What is a business sounding board, and why would we need such a thing? Okay, so what is a business sounding board? It's it's a question I get asked quite a lot because it's not a sort of a, a standard job title. Um, the simplest way to to sort of put it in a box really is to say it's sort of I've I've, I've position it as halfway between a, a business coach and a business mentor. Um, and really what I'm there to do, I work with business owners to help them become a better business owner. Now we've all heard, you know, we've all heard the cliche, it's lonely at the top. Uh, and what I'm there to do is to, is to basically stop that happening for business owners, you know, as a business owner and having been there and, and you know, been through the whole business journey, a lot of the time you are, you know, it, it feels like you're sort of making up as you go along. And that's true. That's, that's, you know, and that's acceptable. And it's true. With a lot of business owners and I felt it a lot of the time. And sometimes um, you get to the point where you go, you know, do I go, do I go, do I go left or do I go right? Uh, I don't know. I'll go right. Um, and I'm there really just to, to, to be able to, as a business owner, to be able to go, look, Phil, you know, I've got this, this situation. I think this is the right route or I think this is the right way to go. Can I just roll it past you? Um, and that is, that is not only in, in sort of negative situations, like I've got a problem, but it's also in positive situations, like I've got this opportunity. I'm not sure how to maximize it. Um, and as a business owner, you know, you've got issues that are usually sort of marketing, strategy, finance, staff, uh, sales. They're, they're normally the same sort of problems irrelevant of where you are as a business owner. And often it's just that requirement to, to be able to sit down with somebody and say, can I just, just talk this through? You, know, you, you can't sit down with your sales manager and go, hey, Dave, you know, I've got a clue what I'm doing here. Can you just help me? <laughs> Because that's not going to go down really well, is it? <laughs> what well, is that thing, isn't it? It's showing up with confidence, even if you don't know what you're doing. It's like, yeah, yeah we're yeah. going to confidently go down this path until we're not. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, as, as your team grows as a business owner, um, you know, a number of things happen. And uh, you know, one of them being your skill, you have people who are better at stuff than you are. And that's great. And that's the way you should be building a business. But as also, you know, the team will come to you and go, Hey, Phil, you know, what are we doing next? Where are we going next? And, 
you know, yeah, we'll go this way. And then, you know, it would be great to have somebody to sit and talk to and go, Phil, can I just talk you through this? And, and a lot of the time it is just talking. I, I don't give people answers. I don't give people solutions. I'm not uh, a business consultant who will come into your business and, and go, right, you know, your supply chain's wrong, your sales strategy's wrong, whatever it is. I talk to the business owner and then the business owner takes hopefully some benefit from me and then inputs it into his role as a business owner. Mm. That's super interesting. I mean, to give the give the audience a bit of a background here, I mean, you you as you describe yourself, you went from a kitchen table startup with limited or no investment, and then through to a multi million pound sale. Eighteen years later, into you know to PLC, you know, and and really that sort of the journey that you've been on through that. And I just want to circle back a bit because you sort of saying it's it's between a mentor and a coach, and then you talked about a consultant as well. So. Can you just split the hairs for us here between mentor, coach, and consultant, if you like, and, and the position that you sort of find yourself straddling? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really, really good question. I actually wrote a, a really long article about it on my website. Um, and having said that, I'm still not sure what the answer is. But in very, <laughs> in very simple terms, um, and I use the football analogy. So, um, you know, if let's say, I know, let's say you're 18 year old and you're a striker and you're playing in, you know, you're playing for a club's under 18 team or under 20 team. If you had Gary Lineker at your side, he would be a mentor. He'd be able to say, look, this is what happened to me. This is how my career expanded and went out and blah, 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 blah. But if you had, and I'm a Leeds fan, so I'll use Bielsa as my example. If you had Bielsa next to you, he would be able to coach you and make you better. So I think the difference between a coach and a mentor is a mentor is somebody who's been there and can sort of hold your hand and sort of show you the path. Whereas I think a coach is somebody who will add to your skill set. Hmm. And, and that's the, probably the simplest way. Uh, and, you know, and, and you, know, you can get into all sorts of different nuances and 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 different pointers and, you know, coaches will set targets, whereas mentors will, will just sort of give you tasks sort of thing. So a coach will try and make you this bit better, this bit better, this bit better. Whereas a mentor might just say, you know, come back to me in six months. Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done the other? It's, it's, there are nuances to it and most coaches will mentor and most mentors will coach. Um, And I think that's where, I try and sit my role is somewhere in the middle. So there's a little bit of handholding and there's a little bit of mentoring. And a lot of it, a lot of what I'm doing is actually not giving answers. I'm actually asking questions. So I'm the one who's prodding and poking and, and yeah, classic questions like, well, why do you do that? Which is a killer, which is a horrible question. People <laughs> hate being asked that question because the answer is normally either I don't know, or we've always done it like that, or we did it like that in my last company. But when somebody then takes a step back and thinks, yeah, why do we do it like that? And I can say, well, have you thought about doing it this way or, or that way or that? And then they come up with the answer, you know, the client, the, the, the business owner comes up with the answer to say, do you know what? I'm going to do that differently next time. Now I've not coached them. I've not told them the answer. They've come up with themselves. Um, so, you know, it's a bit of a bit of in between. I think the consultant side of things is 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 another step away. Whereas I think a consultant is is somebody, and again, this is sort of very simplistic, comes in and sort of looks at your business in a particular area, wherever they're a consultant in, and will advise that you know 
this isn't working right, this strategy's wrong, this system doesn't work, this process isn't optimised, that, that sort of thing. So I, I don't think I'm comparable to a consultant. I'm sitting somewhere in the middle of a coach and a mentor. And I think also I, I, picked, I picked the title Business Sounding Board um, partly out of a bit of imposter syndrome on my behalf. Mm. So, you know, I said, I, I run my own business, we sold it. And then somebody said to me, somebody who is a sort of coach slash consultant said to me, oh, you should be a, a coach and a mentor. My first response to that was, well, who on earth is going to listen to me? You know, I was making it up as I went along. And you forget all the stuff, you know, you, you know, as usual, you forget all the stuff you've learned and you don't realize that people don't know this stuff because you've picked it up almost subconsciously along the way. Um, so yes, that's a long answer to what's the difference in a coach and a mentor. As I say, there is a very long article on my, on my website, um, which discusses it. And I think you get, you can get into minutia as to what the difference is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's, there's a lot of sense there. I'm curious what, I mean, what's your style? I mean, we, you know, we, we bring Phil into the room, you know, are you sort of a, let's go have a chat and a coffee and let's chat this through or are we like let's let's get the, the drawing pens out and or let's sort of delve into the reports well what are we getting with phil what's when you wheeled into the room i i start um i always start with clients with a very simple question and that is what does perfect look like in a year's time now that might sound like a really really simple question and it, and it is but the answer then determines the strategy you're going to put in place for the next 12 months. Once you, once you've sort of determined that you, I can then work with a client and go, well, you know, you said you, you know, let, let's take two, two really extreme examples as an answer to that question. Uh, on one side, you got, uh, right, I want to sell a company. And the other side is uh, I want to, I want to get to a million pounds worth of sales. Now, once you've decided that, you then there are obviously certain things you would then put in place to, to, to get to that point. Um, what I can then do is work with a business owner to help him ensure that he's keeping on track to keep those strategies in place. Uh, but but my the usual start to like a, an ongoing, you know, if I'm doing an ongoing sessions with, with clients is, okay, what do you want to talk about today? And they will say, I've got this issue with a member of staff or sales have collapsed, you know, I've got a problem or I've got this brilliant idea. Can we just talk about that? And it, it's very much led by the client and, and I will listen. And then, as I said before, I will, I will prod and poke. And the idea is, and I, I use the, I, the, 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 the sort of example of, yeah, they're the expert in their business. They know their business inside out. I, I, you know, in many instances, I, I don't know anything about their business or their sector. Um, but what they've got is a giant filing cabinet with all the stuff in it. And by me asking questions, they're flicking through the filing cabinet and they go, ah, this is the, this is the answer to, to my quest, you know, to my issue. But I've sort of helped them flick through all those, you know, Old, this is old school, obviously. Um, you can tell how old I am. This is old school going through a filing cabinet and pulling out a file. Or, you know, if you're, you know, as you, you know, as you drill through folders in your computer and you get down to that subfolder that's got that document, you go, ah, that's the document I need. It's that type of stuff. So, so my, in answer to that question, it's 
I'm very much led by by the client, by the, the business owner who says, right, Phil, I just, I want to talk to you about this today. That, it comes across there and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it's almost a facilitation, right? So the concept of the hypothesis is the answer is already within you. You just need the space or you need the environment in which to allow it to be nurtured and come out. Is that, is that a fair statement? I think that's, that's, that's very, very good, actually. I don't think anybody said that back to me before. So thanks, Pete. That's, I'll, I'll write that down. But it is, it is, you know, this is why I use the title the sounding board because that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm bouncing things back to the client and the client saying, what about this? And I go, well, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the other? Oh, I didn't think about that. And I'm facilitating them flicking through, either flicking through their filing cabinet or, or drilling down through their folders on their PC. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. Before we really get into it, I know we've already sort of delved in, but it's really, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you, Phil? Uh, the, fire, the fire in my belly was always, the driver for me was always success and, and to degree acknowledgement. So success, and I've always said this from a business point of view, you know, if you are successful, you know, the, the, the money and the profit and, and all the, the upside will follow. Um, you know, it, it's very hard. To, I think it's conceptually very hard to be successful and not make a decent business or a decent profit out of what you're doing. So success was the thing for me was, yeah, we've nailed that. Yeah, we've completed that. Yeah. I mean, we won over the period of 18 years, our business won 10 industry awards and I was they were they were some of the yeah if we were if i was back at home i've still got them on the wall they're still saying you know um i'm really that they were the things that that acknowledged to me the success but it's the success that's that's the driver i think everything else falls out the back of that and even even what i'm doing now you know just by even just by somebody sort of ringing me up saying oh you know i've seen an article by you or I've seen you on LinkedIn or I've, I've heard a podcast, um, you know, I'd like to talk to you about possibly working with you. That's a big, that's a big yes for me. It, almost, almost irrelevant if they then subsequently say, do you know what? I don't think you're right for me. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, so the fire in the belly, I think is success and, and off the back of that sort of acknowledgement, which obviously comes with success. It's interesting because you talk about success and then you sort of said money and, and profits and that will follow. So how do you define success then out of that? I think hitting whatever target you set, whatever the goal is. Okay. If you get to that goal, that's success. Now I've got, you know, I've got clients and I've got friends who, who are very, who are more money driven. You know, they, they look at the numbers. I, I've never been like that. I've just said, right, okay, you know, we, whether it be sort of redesigning the website or launching something or recreating something and, and sort of getting to that point where you go, yeah, nailed it. That's, that's, that's what drives me. That's the fire in the belly. I mean, out of interest, are you a natural, are you a fixer? Are you a creator? You know, are you a efficiency driver? I mean, what, where do you sit? I mean, do you prefer the blank page or solve a problem or? Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm sort of classic entrepreneur, shiny new object, exciting new project type person. Mm. And I, I think that that and obviously within there there is a creativity and, and I'm very, very, I think, solution based. 
So, you know, it's it's a horrible sort of management slash business cliche is, you know, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Um, And, yeah, my wife's very, my wife's the other way. She's like, oh, my God, this is a terrible problem. And my immediate thought process is, right, how do we fix it? So she'll fixate on the fact there's a there's an issue. I'll fixate on what the solution is. And I think, you know, that that sort of streak of creativity comes with that. Yeah, I think sort of entrepreneurial, uh, solution-based creativity, I think they're all naturally sort of tied in together. Almost a reverse dichotomy there, isn't there? You know, it's like, bring me your problems. I'd provide you solutions. You know, it's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to, to a degree, and actually think about it, to a degree, that's why I'm doing, aren't I? Mm. Yeah, you're inviting problems going, yeah, we can, we can sort this. And we'll bring smile. on, bring on. Yeah. I, I, heard a, I heard a fantastic phrase from somebody a few months ago, actually sort of in, in the depths of the pandemic. And she said something like, what does this situation now allow to happen, which is a great way of looking at problems. Mm. You know, it's, it just tips everything upside down. It's basically, you know, it's basically saying, look, I can't control the uncontrollables, but I can control the controllables. What can I, what can I affect? Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought that was great. That really pinged a light bulb in me. There's an expression I once heard as well. It's that, you know, sometimes good doesn't happen so that great can. And it's in the similar context, right? You know, because you, sure, you're yeah. convinced, you know, now it's like this is this is world-ending stuff, right? You know, if we don't crack this, then we're, you know, the business is screwed, everything's screwed, but actually from this. And, you know, maybe it gives a bit of, on your business background because you were saying that actually sort of almost, you know, you sort of backflipped into it by accident almost, right? Yeah. Because you know, it yeah. wasn't a natural, I'm going to start here and we're going to go in a straight line from A to B. And that's 18 years later. Thanks very much, right? It's yeah. entrepreneurship and your journey has been a bit different to that really, hasn't it? Yeah. And I, actually that, that, that phrase you just used was exactly what happened. You know, the, what, the, the, what we were aiming at, and obviously we'll, we'll come into the story later, but what we were aiming at didn't happen. And if it had happened, what did subsequently actually happen wouldn't have happened. Mm. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's, it's perfect, right? You know, it's like yeah. where, you're exactly where you're supposed to be, maybe in the middle of a whole pile of crap or maybe yeah. you're on top of your game, right? But all yeah. of that is, they're all factors and vectors that have allowed you to be exactly what you are today, which is huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was a failure that, by accident, triggered an opportunity. So, give us give us a little background to that, Phil. I mean, what what was happening at the time, and, and you know, even and, and to your mental state, I suppose, and your energy levels that allowed you through that. Yeah. So it, it's um, so this is back in two thousand. Um, I was working at William Hill, the, the sports book. I'd been recruited by them to launch uh, what at the time was their first ever online casino. So it was their sort of first step out of the sports betting space was into the online casino space. And while I was there, we came across the concept of online bingo, which was just happening in in the US. Um, So I was tasked with basically sort of investigating the market, finding out what, you know, what the levers and pulleys were and, and what's going on. And eventually sort of put a report to the board as to, you know, if we were going to get into online bingo, how do we do it? What would we do? These sort of things. 
Um, and they decided at the time that, no, they weren't going to do it. Now, I subsequently left, left William Hill back end of that year and started work as a consultant in the gaming on, in the online gaming space. And uh, it was actually a friend of my brother's came to me and said, you know, I want to get into online, online gaming. It's, you know, it's the, the new big thing that's going to be happening. Uh, you know, can you give me any advice? And I said, do you know, you want to get into online bingo? That's going to be the next big thing. Uh, 24, 48 hours later, I thought, hang on a minute. You know, if, you're, if you're telling him that's what he should be doing, why aren't you doing that? So, so long story short, I sort of dusted off this report I'd done for William Hill, rehashed it, and it became um, a pitch document for investment into what would have been the UK's first ever pay-to-play online bingo site. Okay, so I went out to the market, um, sort of real-life Dragon's Den, and pitched for, um, I think we were after a quarter of a million quid, um, to, to, as I say, to launch what would have been the UK's first ever pay-to-play online bingo site. Now, just to put this into some sort of historical landscape, so this was about the time the dot-com bubble was about to burst or was bursting. Um, this was only happening in the US, so there's nothing in the UK at all. So it's completely brand new to UK. It was also a legally grey area. So it wasn't illegal, but it wasn't legal. So I was going out pitching something that had never been in the UK, was legally grey in the middle of the dot-com bubble bursting. That's great timing, perfect timing. Uh, and unsurprisingly, it got nowhere with it. I took it to lots and lots of different people, didn't get any interest at all. But what I'd done is I'd built this very, very basic website, which listed um, all the, at the time, US online bingo sites who were in the market to use it as a vehicle to, and on the front of it, we had a, a very simple pop-up questionnaire to get some uh, player data, so sort of age, sex, demographics, uh, spend, frequency, that type of thing. So that when I was doing my pitch, I sounded like I, sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Um, and what happened was some of those bingo sites that were listed on my website somehow found this website and contacted me and said, can we advertise on your website? I was like, sure, send me some money and I'll put some ads on the website. Now, coincidentally, my career pre-William Hill, a lot of that was spent selling advertising space in magazines and newspapers. So this was like, okay, you know, I sort of understand this conceptually. Um, and that website became the business. So it started completely and utterly by accident. And as you said previously, came out of, you know, something not good happening, allowed us to do this, this business that we, we wouldn't have done. You know, had I got the funding for, as I say, what would have been the UK's first pay-to-play bingo site, you know, that, that business journey would have been completely different. How, how well or not we'd have done, I've no idea. Wow. What, 
what was the funding for? Because it was it down to the build. Was it? You know, it was just. It was. It was. Um, I mean, this is that document. I've still got the document. Actually, it's at home. I've still got it. Um, it was. I think it was just for. It was for marketing. It was for staff. Um, it was just operational. Um, mm. I mean, the way the way the the a lot of the online gaming uh, market works is the 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 sort of the engine, the thing that makes whether it be sports betting, whether it be casino, whether it be poker, whether it be bingo, that's usually owned by a development company, and then it's it's white labeled and licensed by the brand. So, what we would have been doing is obviously we'd be paying a licensing fee to this. Uh, bingo company in the US and then we'd have marketed the, the product that we created. It's a fascinating world, as you say, but I mean, God, uh, all the sort of environmental and universal factors are against you, right? You know, .com and it's like everyone, no yeah. investors are going, this, this whole website thing. Nah, it's, it's actually... And, and, and the other, I mean, one of, the, one, of the, one of the key questions we were asked at the time was, you know, if this is going to be so brilliant, why aren't Mecca and Gala doing it? Obviously, the, the two big bingo brands, and the, yeah, the 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 obvious answer is obviously a lot of big brands don't see what's happening on the ground. They don't see the new things that are happening, and they're too big to see them. They obviously went online four years later, so I was four years ahead of them. Um, but yes, it, it was you know landscape wise, it was <laughs> it wasn't the best pitch. <laughs> But that's the thing, I suppose, when you when you don't even almost realize it's well, it's a, it's a different pitch to what you expected, right? You know, because yeah, I mean, it's the old adage: was it I don't know, blockbusters or blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix and sort of shoot them out of the rim type thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's similar. It's just changing landscape, right? You know, it's all changing and and what was right. Yeah, but it's credit to you. So, I mean, where well, first of all, I mean, what was what did you initially want to do when you grew up, and what did you start off doing? Okay, so when I when I uh, when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to play football for Leeds United because that's all I was interested in, or or or, or being a punk band. Um, but I can't play any musical instruments, and I've got a terrible singing voice. So so all of that, I'm still playing football, and I'm still listening to punk. Um, so I left university with no idea what I wanted to do, and fell into. Uh, accountancy because my parents said you know accountancy that's a good that's a good career so I was a trainee accountant for a year um and when I handed in my notice to the managing partner he said very very thoughtfully he said I think you've made the right decision <laughs> compliment insult oh not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure I mean what yeah that year as a trainee accountant was quite good because it, it it gave me an understanding of sort of basic bookkeeping and invoicing and, you know, for those oldies amongst us, double entry bookkeeping and stuff like that. It, it, I mean, it, it leads me on to generally a future question that more or less says, you know, when is it a great time to get Phil in the room? And when's it a great time to get Phil out of the room? You know, it's, if it's a case a good, of, <laughs> He noticed when the good time to get me out of the room was. <laughs> Yeah, if it's business as usual or not exciting, get Phil out because he'll start wrecking the place, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, I, I, I just wasn't... The, the, the really funny thing was I started as a trainee at the same time as another guy called Philip. So there was two Philips started as a trainee and I obviously just wasn't cut out for this. And the other Philip 
was just like Mr. Accountant. He's still an accountant now. So we had this huge contrast between me, just not an accountant, and this other Philip who was, he's obviously a brilliant accountant, you know. Oh, Philip's done this well. And go, well, this Philip hasn't. Philip <laughs> versus Philip. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Where did the Kensington thing come from? Was that just... It was just my parents. You know, as I say, I came out of university um, with no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I'd applied for various sort of university milk round jobs without any... And when we talk about fire in the belly, it was just, I don't know, I just want a job. And they said, you know, they said, oh, you, sh- you should be an accountant. And, and it so happened they had a friend who ran an accountancy firm who was the, the guy who gave me the job. So I don't know how much of it was a favour or, or, or not. Um, and he was the one who said I've made the right decision as well. <laughs> but again, you know, certain time, sometimes good things don't happen so the great can, right? You know, it's all, yeah, yeah. it's all factor. I mean, were you generally running into school or running out of school? What was your direction of travel? No, I was at school, um, sort of school and university. I, I sort of went, went through school and university without really touching the sides. I was just a, I mean, I, I didn't do particularly brilliantly at my A-levels, but I was down to, to not lack of application more than anything else. Um, got a 2-2 at university, as I say, sort of without, you know, no issues. I, you know, I wasn't a brilliant student. I wasn't a dreadful student. I just, you know, I think, you know, O-levels, A-levels, university was sort of default expectation. Um, so I sort of came at, at, you know, at 21 was the first time, I suppose, looking back was the first time I actually had to make a decision because everything mm. else was just assumed that that's what you would do. Mm. In hindsight, was going to university the right thing for you, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was ready to go and, and um, really, really, really enjoyed it. You know, it allows you all the flexibility to, to sort of express yourself at that age. And find yeah, a bit deep, but find yourself and all that sort of stuff. Um, I know some people go to university, oh, I was a you know, waste of three years. I had a fantastic time, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think the other thing as well, particularly, particularly back then, may, maybe less so now, um, you know, the jobs I was applying for or expecting to apply for, and, and it, I think it still happens a lot, is you know, you have to have a, you know, you have to have a degree. So by not having a degree. And whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing is, is irrelevant. But if you know if you look for a job and it says you know must have you know minimum two A levels and a degree, if you haven't got a degree, you can't apply for the job. Um, so no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's any issue in, in going to uni. I, I really enjoyed it and I think it was the right thing for me. You know, my father used to say this. You know, it's like it almost doesn't matter what your degree's in. The degree yep. shows the ability to focus, concentrate, to persist. And ultimately then come out the far side, you know, and the subject is virtually irrelevant, right? You know, because, yeah. you know, how often do people... I, I, I always, I used to say this with, with my team, you know, I recruited in, I think vast majority of jobs I recruited in my team, I said, you know, must have a university degree, not because they, of, of what they did in their degree, but as you say, it shows you have the ability to take on information, sort of regurgitate it, rebuild it you know, put it out again, understanding, oh yeah, and, and having been a bit grown up and, and yeah, there is a difference between, you know, living at home and then living away for three years. It, you know, there's, there's yeah, even if it's just cooking and washing, yeah, it does change you as a person. Yeah. 
Yeah, it rounds the edges, as they say, isn't it? You know? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, so when did the actual, in terms of, you know, really sort of starting that website and and that, what was the what was the gap then between, you know, then and and you know coming out of university? So I was thirty two when we launched the business. So there's I had a uh, what. 10, 11 year career with a proper job first and, and then, and then launched the business. As I say, the, you know, the business launch was an accident. Um, you know, after, after the, uh, accountancy job, I then, I then had a number of roles selling advertising space in magazines and newspapers. Uh, I did a, I did a year as a recruitment consultant. Um, I ended up, uh, at Yellow Pages, if you remember Yellow Pages, and I mm-hmm. hated that job. That was that was horrible. That really, really was horrible. So going out, well, it's, it sounds a bit arrogant. It's not. It's not supposed to be arrogant. I, mean, I was used to you know uh, selling advertising over the phone or meeting people and face to face and all that sort of stuff. And, and Yellow Pages, you, you you basically end up sort of. And this is no disrespect to anybody in in any type of labour market. You know, sort of sitting on upturned crates on building sites, trying to sell some builder, a, you know, an ad for two hundred and fifty quid in the Yellow Pages. It's just, it is so disheartening. It really, yeah. or meeting plumbers on the job. You know, I'll be at number forty six. You know, Acacia Drive at nine thirty. I'll meet you there. It's just, and having had a you know six or seven years selling advertising, it was just it it, it just pulled the life out of me. I just hated it. So I, after that, I ended up, I sort of slightly swapped horses and spent six years at an ad agency, which was absolutely fantastic. And I absolutely loved that. And, and culturally, it was brilliant. I took an enormous amount of the company culture from there into my business. Um, and that eventually led me into the, the William Hill role. That's amazing. This is the, the various things you go through. And because you mentioned there, you know, you'd sort of pulled together this business case and, you know, and obviously there was, was that aspect. I mean, were you involved in, I suppose, in the technical side? Was it the technical, the application of, or was the business side? Or what was, what sort of skill sets were shining through? I think for the, for the, for the, when we did the original pitch and then as I, as I launched the business, it was very much the business side of things, Um, you know. As I said, my background was was selling advertising space, and then as in in the ad agency, I was a I was the account manager, account director. So I'm the the sort of coordinator between the creative, the copywriting, the technical, that type of thing. Um, and I think that then carried on as a business owner that I was I was the coordinator. Now I had a basic understanding of web design, I had a basic understanding of SEO, um, and obviously understood advertising. Um, and those were the sort of key bits that that rolled together to create the business. And then, obviously, as I said, the the sort of year as an accountant just gave me the basics of of understanding sort of credit control and debt chasing and sending invoices and and all that sort of thing. So all all the things I did throughout the my my proper career before I before I launched the business sort of fed into and, and gave me a skill set to be able to run my own business. How long into that did it did it sort of take you to realize that this was viable? This was this was a runner. This was a genuine business. It was um, so the situation we were in when we were, you know, as I say, so going back to where we were, uh, we had various uh, online bingo sites in the US contacting us and saying, "Can we advertise on your website?" At the same time, I was still working as a consultant in online gaming. 
because still very much it was still quite early days there. So having had a year's experience at William Hill, I was, you know, I had the background to, to claim to be an expert. My wife at the time was still working as a teacher. Um, so we had enough sort of home funding to be able to let this roll. Um, however, I was still, I was still looking for a what I would call a proper job. And actually, I actually got, I got offered a job at um at a digital agency as an account director. Very nice job, you know, salary car, all that sort of stuff. And I went in to see them on the Friday before the Monday and said, I can't take this job. I've got, I've got this thing that's happening that I have to see where it goes. Um, and I think that was the, that was the, that, I mean, that was a, an enormous sliding doors moment. Um, that was the one where you, I look back and think, you know, I, and I could quite easily have taken that job. Nice job, nice salary, you know, absolutely fine. And I could have just parked what we were doing and just left it or, or sort of kept it as a hobby sort of thing and let some money roll in. Um, but I just thought the opportunity was there. Um, and probably in hindsight, probably backed myself to get, a, to get another job if it, if it really didn't work. So I did have a, I did a bit of a safety net and it was, you know, maybe probably 18 months, two years in when I sort of stopped doing the consultancy, cause that felt a bit too much like hard work. Whereas this, this website stuff was actually quite straightforward, you know, send us some money, we'll run some ads, send us some more money, we'll run some more ads. And also we were very lucky that we were in a market that was growing. So there were new clients coming into the market all the time. And as we grew, we became almost I'm not say a default place for them to advertise, but one of a small number of places to advertise. So it, it quite quickly we became known in the industry. We went to various industry events and all that sort of thing, and 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 built built along with the market growing as well. So that's why I say you know it's the right place at the right time. But yeah, that was a huge sliding doors moment when we were like, okay, this might be a goer. I mean. Uh, what sort of support did you have around you? I mean, for you to sort of say, very rational, very nice opportunity here. Yeah, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to go for high risk, unknown, wet finger in the air. You know, is that is that sort of in your blood? Is it in your family? Is it, you know, or no, is it a case it, of just... I mean, my, so my, my mum was a teacher and ended up as a head teacher. Uh, my dad worked in universities, ended up as a vice chancellor. So there was no, there was nothing entrepreneurial on that side of the family. Um, so there was, I, th I think my a late grandfather had a furrier business, but that's probably the only anything commercial I could find. So I've no idea where it, where it came from. Um, and the only support really I had was, was my wife who said, yeah, let's go for it. This, this seems like fun. So she'd be sat, and you know, this is going back a long time. She'd be sat with a, you know, we had young kids at the time, sat with a baby on a knee, um, sending out emails by Outlook Express. You could only, at the time, you could only send 50 at a time and just sort of copying and pasting and all that sort of stuff. And it worked. You know, we, it, it, you know, had she said, don't be so bloody stupid, take that job. You know, we've got two young kids. What the hell do you think you're doing messing around with this stupid idea? Uh, but she didn't. She said, yeah, let's go for it. Isn't and that, that was brilliant mm, to have that support or, or even, you know, sometimes people haven't a clue what you're talking about it, but they, you know, she's picking up on your passion or picking up on what's possible. Yeah. Right. And saying, well, yeah. sure. Give it a whirl. Why not? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, she worked in the business for yeah, sort of worked day to day in the business for three or four years, but was was involved as, and was involved to, to the last day as well. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. she you know one of the things she did do she she was my sounding board, yeah. although slightly biased sometimes. Um, and that again, just going back to the sounding board thing, you know, if people are thinking of having a sounding board, you've got to think who that sounding board is because sometimes if you've got if you've got a dog in the race, your advice might not be the right advice. But yeah, so she, you know, she'd sit on you know, staff interviews, she'd sit in on all the time. Uh, team socials, she'd be there. We did a lot of international traveling. There's a lot of a lot of gaming conferences she came along to. Um, so she was as well known on the circuit as I was. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous though? That, yeah, I mean, to have the support of each other is it's huge, right? You yeah. Know, so that you can... Yeah you know, sort of, yeah, do it together. I mean, and that's key because entrepreneurship and as you said earlier on, you know, people sort of talk about it lonely, being lonely at the top, but it can also be lonely at home too, right? If Absolutely, yeah. You know, you're yeah. sweating your pan in and, and trying to do everything and the other half of your potential family partnerships going, I don't know what you're doing this for and I don't see it and I don't get it. I've got, I've got somebody who, I've got somebody who I mentor who has exactly that situation. Um, you know, he's got, and he's in the same sort of area. He's got this passion for, for this passion project he's got going and doesn't have the support at home. And he, and obviously he's finding that hugely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's great. I mean, often she was the one saying, you know, that's a stupid idea. What the hell think you playing at? Cause I'm, I'm the ideas one. She's the, uh, don't be so stupid. Um, but it worked. In terms of seeing, I mean, do, do you do you get to see ahead of yourself? I mean, do you you know what's what what sort of drives you? Just get the sense that this could work, or do you actually sort of see it that actually you can see things that others don't? Um, you know, I would I would never ever claim to have been this sort of futurologist that, that sort of was nailed on that this was going to be as massive as it became. Um, I think with business, particularly when you start up a business, it, it sort of feeds into the sort of Maslow's hierarchy thing. You know, the first thing we wanted to do with this business was to be able to pay the bills. That was the aim. Then it's, um, maybe we'll get a better car. Then it was, we might be able to go on holiday. And it goes, you know, and it builds like that. And so I, I and I know, you know a lot of people will, will do business plans and have exit plans and all that sort of stuff. We had nothing like that, and because we, because we hadn't had to search for finance and su- financial support or, or backing or investment, we didn't have a business plan. It was very, let's roll in this direction and see where it takes us. Mm. Um, and one of the things, one of the things we used to do, we used to do quite regularly. So every six, twelve months, we go, we go away, we go and sit in a hotel foyer, get some coffees. We'd have the marker pens out and just brain dump, just do a blue skies brain dump and go, right, okay, that's quite a good idea. That's quite a good idea, right? That's the plan for the next six months and, and sort of roll with it. That's how we did it. And it, it, as I say, there wasn't any big master plan, particularly in the early, you know, first, I don't know, seven, eight years, no real master plan. It was just, let's get this. And it goes back, I suppose it goes back to the success thing we were talking about. You know, if we can sell more advertising, we can build the site bigger and we can take on another member of staff. That's great. And we'll sell some more advertising and, you know, maybe we'll take on an extra member of staff that gives us a bit more flexibility to do something else. And we rolled like that. 
do you think i mean is that almost a uh, an unconscious competency in a lot of entrepreneurs in that they don't know any better so they just do it um because if they did know they would stop or <laughs> they wouldn't keep going i think some sometimes so the the ignorance is bliss thing i think mm-hmm. is fantastic um because you haven't got that restriction of somebody going, shouldn't be doing that. Because mm. you don't know, you haven't got anybody there going, shouldn't we do that? So you do it anyway, you know, and then you go, oh, that wasn't a very good idea. I won't do that again. Um, and, you know, we could, I mean, looking back at the, the whole business journey, there's obviously lots of things we could have done differently and done better. Um, I don't think there was any, I think there was probably one, one opportunity, I think, or maybe two opportunities we missed, but we didn't do too badly. What's, what was your typical sort of decision-making? I mean, are you uh, fired off the cuff and let's give it a whirl, or is it a I need to sleep on this type chap? I mean, what, what would be, on a biggish decision, what, what do you go with? Uh, I always, I always ad- advise people, um, go with your gut. After you've done your research, so, so not just like, you know, firing off straight away, but if your gut feeling is, you know, this is the right route to go. And then you sort of, you know, you have a bit of a poke around and let's call it research. It was not as deep as that. You'll maybe do a quick SWOT analysis of it or whatever it might be. And you, you know, you go, I've got this idea, chuck it around a bit, maybe ask a few people, what about that? What about that? have a look at what the market are doing. And they go, yeah, let's go for it. And I always, I, I say it to clients and I say it on podcasts a lot, JFDI. You know, jump off the cliff, the parachute will open in some way. That's that's sort of my way of looking at it. Um, and I always, naturally, I will see the positives, not the negatives anyway. So I'm probably blind to all the, the, the why the earth are you doing that? <laughs> because I didn't see, I just didn't, I either didn't see them or didn't want to look for them. Uh, so yeah, I'm I probably, probably more off the cuff than than really thoughtful. Do you think that's, I mean, nature or nurture? I mean, do you think people are born slightly riskier or, or is it their upbringing? I mean, you know, someone might say, well, it's okay if you fell, you know, you're in hindsight, you're sitting there and saying, just, just go and do it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and but we so did, but we did, you see, the point mm-hmm. is we did. Um, nature or nurture. I think, I think there's probably na- a lot of it is nature, but then it also, it depends on the landscape you're making that decision in. So when you're, you know, when you're starting and you've got no money, you know, it's quite hard to make a really big off the cuff decision. But if you've, you know, if you're successful and you've got, you know, some money sitting in the bank that actually, if this call is wrong, it's not going to, it's not going to really knacker everything. You, you have, you will have a tendency and a, and a flexibility to take more riskier decisions. Um, so yeah, I think there is a, I think a lot of it is nature. Because a lot of people, it just feels wrong to just be, ah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I suppose when you're working with people, is, is that what it is for them? Is it, is it the, let's call it bravery, or is it the, the clarity to, to just go for it? Or is it the not knowing? Or is it the sort of got a gut feeling too much going on right now? I mean, when businesses aren't moving forward, what, what do you f- tend to find are the biggest blockers for them? I think sometimes it's, it's the fear of failure. 
I think stops people making decisions. Um, it's very easy to go, ooh, what if, what if, what if. We had, I, I had a fantastic member of staff who was, who was really, really good, great at what he did, but was always crossing six or seven bridges down. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? It was like, no, let's, let's just let's cross this first bridge first. Oh, well, what if, you know, I don't know, make something up. What if it becomes so big we need to recruit some more people? Well, great. Isn't that a fantastic problem? Where, you know, should we just start the project first? <laughs> um, and, and you get that in people, that they will do that, and other people will just, you know, knock down the targets as they're in front of you. Um, and, it, you know, a lot, a lot of it is down to the nature of the person, and some of it is down to the, as I say, the landscape of making those decisions. Did, did you know you were going to get to this point? I mean, did you know you were going to sort of build a business and it was going to be very successful and, you know, you were profitably sell it and move on? I mean, you know, some people sort of say, yeah, I know I'm going to be big. I know this is going to happen, but I just don't know how. No, no. As I say, as I say, it was, you know, particularly in the early days, it was let's just roll with it and see where it gets to us. And, you know, if I can buy a slightly nicer car that doesn't break down, that's great. And then the success rolls and you go, okay, well, all right, where do we go next? Where do we go next? Where do we go next? And, and it was just a rolling journey that, okay, let's, let's set a bigger target. Let's, let's, you know, try and do something different and, and build, build a brand and, and, you know, dominate the market and, you know, the targets become bigger. And at no point did I sit back and think, I know this is going to happen. It was just, you know, what's, in, you know, what's the old football cliche, you can only beat what's in front of you. So at any particular time, it was, you know, can we generate some more revenue? Can we generate some more profit? Can we improve the product? Um, just pretty day-to-day stuff, but with, within a big picture situation as well. So we had, um, and this came from a consultant that came into our business, we had a BHAG on the wall. I don't know if you've come across BHAGs with, Okay, so if you read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, he talks about, and it's all about um, what makes good companies become great companies. So, and it, it takes some real examples, most of them American, but it, it's almost like if you take Sainsbury's and Tesco's from 15 years ago, they were probably about the same. You know, what made Tesco's go you know, ballistic and Sainsbury's stay, you know, it's that oh, good to great. And he came up with the theory of a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. So it's like pick something that is so ridiculously big as a target and you set that as your North Star and off you go. And, and, and I say this consultant came in to see us and he introduced me to that concept. And we had, a, we had a BHAG of being the world's, the world's leading supplier of online bingo players. Okay. So that's the world. So being the world's number one of anything is obviously going to be huge. The time he wrote it, we were, there were five of us in a in a in an office above a sandwich shop in North Leeds. So that's you know to be the world's number one of anything from a sandwich shop from above not in the sandwich shop above a sandwich shop is you know that's a big hairy audacious goal. So that was the goal, but at no point within that journey was there any. Oh, we're definitely going to do it. It was just, you know, take the next step, take the next step, take the next step, see where we get. 
it almost feeds nicely back into you're not sort of being a problem solver, being a solution provider, right? You know, it's because when we give ourselves these big, hairy, audacious goals, then the brain goes, I must solve this. And you're like, okay, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah. And it's good. And, and what it did was, you know, every, and, and I said, I'm a shiny new object person. And, and in the end, I was told quite categorically by, again, another consultant who came into business, having sort of done a project with the team to just get out of the way and stop bringing these new exciting ideas in, just let us get on with what we're trying to do. But what it allowed us to do was anytime, you know, we had it on the wall in the, in the meeting room, anytime we had, we were discussing ideas, it was constantly, does this contribute to the BHAG? Does this contribute, does this take us towards where we're trying to get to? Um, and I was guilty uh, as everybody of, of, come, of having fantastic ideas that didn't. And the danger is when you do that, if you're the boss, obviously, the team say, yes, you know, yes, sir, you're the boss, even though they're sitting there going, bloody hell, another one of these stupid ideas. Mm. Um, and yeah, until I was told, just keep your stupid ideas to yourself. And in fact, what I ended up, do what I ended up doing on the recommendation of this consultant was setting up a separate company to sort of have a pot to put my stupid new ideas in. <laughs> you were being managed. Absolutely, I was tired. He did he, the project he did with the team. I've done with a couple of clients, and it's fantastic. And I would recommend any anybody who's listening to do this. He got he came into our business, um, and sort of did a Q and A individually with all the team. So you know what's good about working here, what's bad about working here. You know what are the issues? What you know what ideas have you got? All that sort of stuff. And then he rolled it back to me. So. Obviously not not verbatim, and it wasn't he said she said it was it was sort of themes, and one of the themes was will you tell Phil to stop bringing these new ideas in and leave us alone? And, and at the time, by that time, I had a number two in place, and he he was consistently saying to me, Phil, leave me alone, let me run the business. If there's any problems, I'll let you know. Just go and sit by your pool in Spain, um, and and. <laughs> And that's the, that's the situation we got to. So anybody, I would, and I say, I've done this to a couple of clients, this project where I spoke to the team and sort of taken it back theme-wise to the, to the boss. And it's a brilliant exercise. It is absolutely fantastic. And you know, one of them said to me, it's, it's the best thing he's ever done in his business. He needs to be running his business for 15 years. Isn't it Sorry, we're going, off on, we're going off on a tangent there, but no, yeah. like, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Because although everyone, you know, you perceive, especially the boss perceives, we're all sitting down here having this nice open conversation. Yeah, that's fine, except three quarters of the room feel like if they open their mouth in the wrong way, <laughs> the hammer will fall. So that's yeah. not exactly I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I was never the sort of person that would, would do that. But what you don't realize is the boss. Mm. Is at the back of their mind, or, or all the time. however nice you are to them, you know, however open you are, and, and I was, I was as open and and um, gave them as many opportunities as I could. The back of their mind is always, you know, this is the bloke who could sack me at any at any point. I, I wasn't going to, and I didn't, but I didn't, you know, I never sort of realised that because I was just like, yeah, let's all let's all get on with it, and and you know, and again, this this sort of feeds into another point, which is, you know, as you grow your business you will struggle to understand why people aren't as excited and infused and in love with your business as you are. But it's because it's your business. They're just employed. Mm. Um, but you, that's a, why aren't you as a, yeah, why don't you work on a Saturday and a Sunday on this? You know, 
I mean, you know, not, not, you know, obviously don't sit down on a Monday morning and say that to them, but it, that, that conceptually, you know, why aren't you as, as 100% committed to this as I am? And it's, it's really hard to understand that as you grow a business that, that, you know, people aren't just by, yeah. And, and that's not, there's no fault of theirs. And that's, mm. it's a natural thing. I mean, how, how do you share that energy in a business? You know, it's, as you say, it's, you know, if you're not getting a share of the profits or you're sitting at the top table, you know, it's very, it is very hard to sort of get everyone as enthused or, or sort of directional, but yeah, I mean, is that down to goals? Is that down to communication clarity? What is it? It's well, you, you know, as you grow a business, your skill set has to change. Mm. You know, when you, when you grow a business, you know, you're, you're the salesperson, you're the after sales team, you're the supply chain, you're the delivery, you're, you're everything. So you bring a team in and what you have to do, I think, is you have to give them clear targets. You have to give them the freedom to do their job well. You have to give them the facilities to do them well. And that includes things like training and support. Um, and they have to buy into the vision. Now, as I said, they're, not gonna, they're never going to be in love with your business as much as you are. But if you give them stimulating and motivating work to do and you value them and you allow them to express themselves as, as, as much as you can, I think you will then have a team that will you know, fight alongside you. Um, I think it's when they don't feel valued and they just feel they're just sort of cogs in a machine that I think that's where you lose the motivation and they, you know, they turn up on a Monday morning and they finish on a Friday because that's what they do as a job. Whereas you know, if you've got a motivated, inspired team, they will, you know, they will go the extra mile. Uh, do you think, do you think staff and, and, and employees are, will always be one of the, the main, maybe not the biggest, but the main assets of any business? You know, is that is that always a fundamental part? I think a lot, a lot, de- a lot depends on the business, and a lot depends on the business owner. Um, I think there are a lot of jobs out there that are just functions. Mm. Um, and if you, you know, if you read uh, the book The E Myth, that talks a lot about putting processes in place that are repeatable, and actually, then staff do become cogs in a machine. Um, so I think those sort of issues do, do probably come up as, as businesses get bigger. Um, but yeah, in most instances, you know, if you've got, I think anything sort of sub 20, 20 staff, your biggest asset will be your staff. And then it's how you deal with them, how you treat them. Um, and, and, you know, just basic, just simple basics like you know, offering them training, offer them decent facilities to work in, giving them flexibility, get, you know, giving them feedback. Feedback is one of the hugest things that I think a lot of business owners don't do. And feedback doesn't necessarily need to be negative. Feedback can be positive as well. Um, you know, one of the things I came across, I'm, I'm a great sort of reader and listener and learner, and I came across something called Manager Tools, which is an American podcast. So once you sort of cut through the Americana, um, they took about a number of different, there were a number of key topics. And if, if anybody's out there listening, it's manager-tools.com. And they talk about feedback and they have a feedback model, which goes sort of fairly structured. It goes something like, hey, Pete, can I give you some feedback? And if, the, if you say, sorry, Phil, I'm busy, you go, fine, I'll give you later. So, hey, Pete, can you give me some feedback? 
And it's, you know, when you did this, this was great. This happened. Carry on doing it. And that's it. Mm. And yeah, because often when you say to me, can I give you some feedback? Their immediate reaction is, oh shit, what did I do wrong? And yes, you've got to give negative feedback as well. Uh, but positive feedback works fantastically well. That's key, isn't it? You know, it's we get so problem and solution oriented that we forget that, you know, in the world of 80-20 or 70-30 or whatever your ratio is, that actually you can't, you know, yes, it mightn't be the biggest part of the business, but it's been grateful and, and appreciating what you have and, you know, as you say, that positive feedback, right? Yeah. You know. Tell me this, what, what was, what, what are your sort of key habits? I mean, are you a big goal setter? Do you, do you like to sit down or your visualization? I mean, you, you mentioned there, you know, a lot of ideas coming through as well. I mean, how do you typically channel that? How do you make it hit the tarmac? Um, yeah, I'm an, I'm an ideas person and I think what I tend to do, and one of the things I learned, uh, again, from, from learning from a, a book most people probably heard of seven habits of successful people by Stephen Covey, uh, was time management. So urgency versus importance. And I'm, I'm still a pen and paper person. So I'll, as I'm going around, I'll sort of chuck ideas on bits of paper and then sort of once a week, I'll try and prioritize them. And I've, I've built my own sort of bastardized system of Covey system, which again is on the website. So have a look. Um, and then put things in priority order and go, right, okay, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that. And though, you know, some of those are the some of those are the ideas I've had, and some of it is just things I know I've got to do. Um so is it goal setting? I think it's more I think more important to be than goal setting is prioritization, which obviously then will feed into if you've set goals, then you prioritization will feed into goals. Um and particularly now, obviously. I'm in a sort of slightly odd situation where what I'm doing is pretty much sort of part-time and, and quite flexible. Um, so there's no sort of Monday to Friday, nine to five structure. Um, so it's easy to end up just doing, doing things I enjoy doing, which probably don't, aren't as important as things I have to do, like fix that light bulb or mend the garden shed or whatever it might be that I'm told to do. <laughs> Are you somebody that needs to be kept busy? Are you best yeah. when you're when you're sort of 150% or 50%? You, you, absolutely. No absolutely. absolutely. I, you know, I, I like to think, right, okay, what am I doing today? I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Because um, I find it quite easy just to, particularly nowadays, even sort of sit on social media and just to lose an hour doing absolutely nothing. Um, so, yeah, I think I have to be doing stuff. Hmm. what's on the bucket list for you i mean what's what's out there that that you're happy to share of course that you know it's, it's going to happen or it's something you would really sort of tickle your fancy the one thing the one thing i've always had it's it's more of a it's more of an itch to scratch than a bucket list um as i said our our business happened totally by accident we were we were lucky to be in the right place at the right time we were in a growing market and it, it, it sort of all happened. Um, so I've got this sort of itch or question that always says, we just a one-trick pony. Did you just get lucky? And off the back of that, I've always fancied maybe trying to do a turnaround on a business. 
just to see if I could do it. Now, what that business is, where it is, what market it's in, I don't know. And then the, somebody I talked about talked to somebody about this recently, and they said, "Well, why? Why do you, why do you need to scratch that itch? You know, you've you've done it." Um, because you look at, and I look at, I know they're sort of sort of huge business icons, but you look at people like Peter Jones and I know Alan Sugar and people like that, and you think, well, yeah, when is enough enough? You know, I'm I'm not going to go and buy a Caribbean island or a yacht or or anything like that, so I I don't need to do it. Um, so the, then the question is, well, why why do you need to scratch that itch, and who are you proving it to? Probably only myself. Um, so that possibly is on the bucket list, but it's not, sorry, it's, it's more an itch to scratch than a bucket list that I have to do it. And obviously the, 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 other, the other bucket list is to see Leeds in Europe again, because I've done that, I have done that before, you know, I've been to Milan, I've been to Valencia to see Leeds, but yeah, let's see, let's see them back in Europe again. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, that, that transfer, and it's a super interesting way, because I suppose you, you come out of a business when, when you don't have to do anything and even you might say, well, I want to do this, but then it's understanding. I suppose for me, I'm slightly biased that, you know, getting to hear what people's passions are, you know, you're saying, yeah, I, I could, I could do that. And you know, I, I, what I want to do, but actually what I would love to do. And it's the different energy in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious for you sort of almost that sort of gear change, you know, in that moment of, you're theoretically you're in neutral. You're you're speeding along rapidly, but you're in neutral because you've gone from a I have to go to work or we have to do this to sell the business or we have to do this to grow. We have to do this to suddenly going. I don't have to do anything. It's it's fascinating actually because you know you read all these business books and they talk about startup and they talk about growth and they talk about exit and they don't do the chapter afterwards which is, what the fuck do you do after you sold your business? And I've spoken to a couple of people who are in, in a, fortunately in a similar situation. And it's like, you know, and, you know, when you meet people, you go, oh, you know, what, what job do you do? And it's the assumption is that they've got a job to go to and, you know, nine to five, whatever it might be. And then when, and, and you know, we talk, I talked earlier about Maslow's hierarchy driving you. So there's the obligation to have a job because you're supposed to have a job and there's the obligation of a job for, you know, economic reasons and supporting your family and all that sort of stuff. And when both of those sort of things disappear, then yeah, fantastic. You can do whatever you want. And then it's, well, what do I want to do? So I've been doing, you know, I've done quite a few different things. I've obviously I'm doing this business sounding boarding, but I've also done a lot of mentoring in schools as well, because I find that hugely uh, satisfying. So we talked, we talked about my career earlier and I, I do a presentation that I've done quite regularly to, to six forms in and around the Leeds area, all about careers and CVs and jobs and, and you know, the fact that my career had gone all over the place. And don't worry when a teacher says to you at 16, what do you want to do? Because it's, in, in essence, it's a stupid question. Um, and then I've done, some, I've done some work with Prince's Trust and I've done some work with... Um, um, an organization called Career Ready. So we do one on one mentoring. Um, and I get a lot out of that. But you still, I don't know whether we're still sort of, I'm still, you know, I'm too young to retire properly and go and play golf. And I don't play golf anyway. Um, you know, there's still that thing in you that, that's, you know, should I have a job? Should I be, should I be doing something? 
and almost a, a guilt complex to say, well, I can't just do nothing. So somebody says to you, oh, what do you do? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's that old thing, isn't it? It's, it's taken a lot to allow me to do nothing. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm not mm. complaining. As mm. I said earlier, I'm, I'm sitting in Spain in the middle of October because I can. Mm. Um, and that's great. But there is, you know, maybe we're, we're preconditioned to still you know, work. It's the Japanese, isn't it? It's the Japanese and there's one other culture that do that. It's like you, you basically always work. You always have a task or you have a role to play in society or whatever else it may change through time but you know there's always a a you know a sort of workplace as such you know i mean do, do you do you believe you have a an overall calling or a purpose in life do you think or, or you know to, where do you sit on that i don't, don't think so like i say i enjoy i enjoy the, the the mentoring i do in schools um i actually enjoy the business signing board stuff i'm doing as well um you know, I'm, I'm the sort of person that if I met you and you, you know, were sat on a train or a plane or sat by the pool and I'd say, you know, what game are you in? And, you know, the bloke next to me goes, oh, we make pencils. You know, most people are going, oh, bloody hell. I'd go, that's fantastic. That's really interesting. Tell me, how do you get into that? How's that market work? How's, you know, how's the system work? Blah, 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 blah. So I really, so, so people coming to me looking for my um, support as a business sounding board, I'm like, great. Yeah, come bring it on. I, I enjoy doing it. I wouldn't call it a calling, um, but I enjoy doing it. But no, I don't think I have got a calling. Hmm. That's what I was going to say. I mean, where, where were you? Where are you in your, your flow state? I mean, if we want to see the best of Phil, I mean, are, are you on a stage? Are you sitting in a you know, conference room? Are you one-to-one? -one? I mean, where do you think you shine? You know, where can people see the best of you? That's a really good question because I've asked this. I was talking to somebody about this on a, on a previous podcast because they were talking about um, networking and networking. They, they, in their podcast, they ask all the, client, all, the, all the guests a question about a networking tip. And I said, I actually hate networking. All that sort of you know, drinking lukewarm coffee in hotel receptions and stuff. And what I'd always prefer to do is be at a conference talking to 40, 50, 60, 100 people, whatever it might be. And yeah, on a, on a simplistic level, I enjoy that because I'm in effect introducing myself to 50, 60, 70 people all in one go, which is great. Um, and you don't have to do that sort of small talk networking type stuff. So I think, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think if the question was, where would you find me best? Probably performing on stage. Obviously, not as not as an actor or anything like that. Although I was, I was in a school play that that we eventually got put on um, at Leeds City Varieties, which is one of the big theatres in Leeds. Oh, wow. so I have I have trod the boards, as they say. What was your part? Oh, I was a. I can't remember what it's called. I was a. I was a. A prison officer and we had to chase some escaped convict around we ended up running up and down the aisles in the city varieties it's a long time ago <laughs> well now that you're uh, semi-retired or, or you're, you're, you're you're testing retirement maybe the, the boards are calling again you know? yeah 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 i've got a friend actually who's who's into amdram but i'm not tempted to ask him yet <laughs> Yeah, maybe take up golf first. Yeah, it's like yeah. No, I've I've done that before. I'm dreadful at golf. Mm.
And, and overall, I mean, whether it's mentoring or business and all, what what generally frustrates you? What what sort of gets you? You know, that sort of really sort of you don't want to shake people or say you know why? Uh, I think the biggest frustration is probably negativity. Can't do that. Oh, we're not going to try that. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. Of course you can do it. Yeah, if you change can't to won't, that's what they're really saying. Because I don't don't think people can't do things. I think won't is a different word. And it's probably what they're saying, or I don't want to. Mm. And I think that frustrates me because there are lots and lots of opportunities out there that, that, that perhaps people miss or, or just don't, sometimes they don't want, sometimes they don't want to take the opportunity for, for various reasons. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always very, very much the, you know, go out and go for it. And if you don't get there, so what, rather than be going, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't do that. That's not true. Are you are you good at listening to yourself? Do you know when you're you're really into something, or does it take you to sort of fail at it, or or things not to happen to to get a really good indication of what you like or don't like? I think listening to myself is quite as <laughs> an interesting one because often I'll you know being in, in I've done quite a lot of podcasts now and and talking to clients and things I'll say stuff and I'll sort of think back and go would I you know would I listen to, to that advice or would I, would I do that? And most of the time I think, yeah, I think I would. Mm. Cause I don't think he's right. If you're telling people to do stuff. And I, I used to used to do this with my team. I would never ask them to do something I wouldn't have done. And mm. I don't think, I don't think legitimately you can do that. Mm. What are you capable of, Phil? <sighs> everything, everything and anything. I don't know. It depends what it is. Bring it on. Let's have a go. Mm. Is that always the attitude? Come and just give it a word, give it, give yeah. it a go, and yeah, 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 absolutely, see, right? absolutely, mm. absolutely. You know, somebody somebody said to me the other day, um, and again, one of those sort of sort of motivational things. You know, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And I think that's a great line. I, and I'm I'm as guilty as anybody else of of not doing new stuff, um, but I think that's just a, a really interesting way of looking at things. Because it's very easy just to just to do stuff you're happy with and comfortable with and within your own sort of safety net. Yeah, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, do you think it's also an age thing that people come to the point where it's maturity or experience or whatever when they say, actually, do you know what? I don't have to do what anyone else says. That actually, the whilst the buck stops at me, I'm also happy to accept that that I'm. Um, I don't need to call on others or I don't need to be beholden to others. Is that, is that a maturity thing do you think? Or I think so. I think, I think there is, there is, there is at one level, there is that, you know, sort of a school kids standing next to each other going, go on a day, go on a day. And then then they do it. And so when you're older, go on your day, you, I'm not going to do that. Um, But, (laughs) but I think it's still, it's still good to have a little bit of that devil may care in you as well. Um, because you know what's who wants to sit around doing nothing? Do you think there's ever a, a book or a podcast show or there's more in there for you? Do you think the book is something that keeps coming up? People keep saying, "Oh, you should write a book." I've written a book. You should write a book. You should write a book. And I think the book, the book would, I think, on one hand, 
the book is either the story of our business journey, which I think, obviously having just done it, I think, well, yeah, we just sort of did stuff and it happened and we sold the business. But actually, the more I tell people the story, the more people go, wow, that's, you know, and, and you realize actually that sort of startup all the way to sale is the dream, you know, for a lot of people. So there is a temptation to write that as a book. Mm. But as I say, it's like, who, who the hell's going to be interested in reading that? And on the other hand, I then say, okay, if I'm going to write a book, I might as well write something that's useful um, and write a business book. I know it's all. 20 great thoughts of Phil Fraser. Oh God, is anybody going to really read that? That you know, they're not going to be anything unique to any that anybody else hasn't said. Um, or the other the other book I think that's in me. I I I love reading sort of trash thrillers, sort of Joe Nesbo and David Balladici and 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 people like that. I think I could write one of them. <laughs> which is which is always the sign of something that's brilliant because you go, oh, this must be really easy to write a book like that. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll maybe stay clear of that because that will probably be crap. <laughs> what is a bit of a guilty pleasure for you then? What's you know apart from uh, sort of yeah these sort of these thrillers and that probably is. I mean my 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 guilty pleasure is is sitting by the pool reading a trashy thriller. So, yeah, I've got. I'm looking. I'm actually looking at three shelves full of books. I've read about half of them. So Peter James or something like that. Um, that's that's probably just being lazy. Just sitting by the pool, being lazy is probably my guilty pleasure. Hmm. to recharge. Is it a recharge yeah. thing, or is it? Well, uh, sometimes. Uh, and the thing is, sometimes it'll be. Yeah, it's a recharge. But often, I also read a lot of business books as well. Um, you know, go on holiday, take a couple of business books with, and then you come back full of ideas and think, oh, that was quite good. I like the way you did that. I like the way you did that. Um, so it's just sort of like a learning in there as well. Um, so, yeah, they're probably probably my two guilty places, I think. Mm. In retrospect now, what, would you, what advice would you have given to yourself when you were in business? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the things one of the things we didn't do, and this is probably a bit more strategic advice rather than sort of business to business advice. One of the things we didn't do, we grew the whole business organically, so we didn't do anything by acquisition. And actually, since um, since we sold the business, I've done a lot of sort of reading about sort of M&A and, and sort of buy and build strategies and stuff like that. And I think that's probably one, one opportunity we possibly could have grown quicker mm. um, doing. But I think from a business point of view, you know, starting out, I don't, I don't think it was anything. I don't think it was anything we did particularly badly. Um, I think one of the issues, one of the issues we had was, was some advice I got sort of later later in the, in, in the business journey and, and sort of having had it and, and then read around it. Um, I don't know if you've come across the concept of the brilliant jerk. Um, basically, somebody who's in your, in your business team who's good at their job, but in, within the greater team is really, really bad. So in simple terms, it's somebody who pisses people off or mm. um, is the one who always pisses on 
brilliant ideas. Oh, we've done that before. Oh, that's going to be too hard to do. Oh, we should, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, that actually, yes, they're doing their job and they're doing it to whatever standard you want them to do their job, but actually the bigger picture stuff is negative. Um, and that's that's possibly something I would have taken on board earlier, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah, it's always interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I mean, you mentioned a couple of books there, but I mean, what what sort of top of your reading list for people that you know, saying if you're in business and going through this, what what should they be reading? Two books I always recommend to everybody, and I've mentioned them both already. One is Seven Habits by Stephen Covey, mm. and the other is Good to Great by Jim Collins. Good to Great. Um, had a big impact on the business because of the concept of the BHAG was was brought in via that. And it's a really, really interesting book. Um, Seven Habits of Successful Business People by Stephen Covey. I have read probably five or six times now. I've got the audio book of it as well. I've listened to that a couple of times. I remember, I remember this, I can't remember who actually introduced me to it, but the second time I read it, so I read it and sort of put it down and left it. And then I read it again two or three years later. And whilst I was reading it, I realized I'd started doing some of the things in that. I started going, oh, I do that. And I realized I'd sort of taken these tips on board without noticing it. But what it all, by rereading it, you're obviously reading it in a different, at a different point on your business journey. So the, the relevant bits ring different relevant bells. So, you know, if you, if you read a book when you, you know, I don't know, when you're two years into your business journey and then you read the same book again, four years into your business journey, different things become relevant and you can apply them to different scenarios. So those would be the two, they're the two books I would recommend to anybody. Mm. It's always, yeah, it's interesting to see the different reading that we have. So that's cool. So tell us if you were to try and then describe your fire in the belly fill in one or two words, what what would they be? In one or two words. Mm. Go for it. Great. Love that. Very simple. Or or JFDI. <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone doesn't know what that is, <laughs> just, just go Google it, you know? Yeah. No, that's very true. So if people want to track you down, hunt you down, really learn more, find out more, um, I believe your main website is philfraser.co.uk, if I'm correct in saying that. That's right. Yeah. philfraser.co.uk. Um, all my contact details are on there. Um, there's quite a few articles about some of the stuff we've, we've talked about today. Uh, there's also previous uh, podcasts and webinars that I've been on. Don't go to philfraser.com because that is a medieval reenactment costume company. So if you see sort of pictures of people like Robin Hood and bows and arrows and things like that, you're on the wrong website. Um, but I'm also on, I'm on LinkedIn most probably every day. Um, so come and connect with me on LinkedIn and quite happy to talk to anybody who's a business owner about any aspect of their business. That's what I was going to say. I mean, who, who, who do you serve best as, as business owners, those that are, in, in growing and, and sort of entrepreneurial side? It's, it's, it's funny, actually. When I sort of started doing this, I tried to draw a, um, a business, a, a customer avatar. And actually what I've worked out is it's business owners who want to get to the next stage, whatever that next stage might be. 
and that might, there might be multiple aspects to that next stage. Now, that next stage might be commercial, it might be emotional, it might be strategic, um, but it's 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 almost self-selecting because if you're happy with doing happy in your business and it's sort of ticking along and, and you're quite happy where you are and you aren't open to change or to be prodded and poked and questioned, then you're not right for me. But if you're if you're at a point you go, right, I want to get to the next the next stage, whatever the next stage might be, and it might be from you know one employee to two, it's more likely to be, and I find it's sort of between of eight employees to 20 is, is sort of my sweet spot. And that usually correlates with a turnover between 500, 600 grand to about four or 5 million. There, the, that sort of sweet spot for the, for the type of business that I'm probably best helping. So if, if there's any business owners who fall into to that sweet spot, we're probably perfect partners. I mean, that's interesting because that's, that's typically... Uh... You know, some I know some of the banks and all would define that of moving from small business to medium business or medium to large, isn't it? That it's the transition side, right? You know, to that's the growing pain of how do we how do we be something we've never been before? And this is this is the step change I'm talking about. Mm. Um, it's that, and and somebody used the phrase recently: um, "What got you here won't get you there," and that's often the case in business. You know, if you've got let's say you've got a team of four, there's, there's you and a team of four people, that you know, there will be a certain capacity limit you get to, whether that be a product capacity, whether it be a profit capacity, whether it be a turnover capacity. So when you've got from, you know, £100,000 to half a million pounds, you might go, okay, I cannot get any further than this without making a step change. Hmm. Or, you know, half a million to a million, million to 1.3, 1.3 to... 300, you know, 3 million, yeah, whatever the step changes are. And yes, it might be a, a, a change from growth to scaling. And there is a difference between growing and scaling a business. They're sort of slightly two separate. I, I, I look at them as sort of vertical and, and horizontal. So growing sort of goes that direction, whereas scaling sort of goes that, that direction. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's probably that, that, so the size point that I described is probably where all the pain points fall with that switch between growth and scale. Mm. And I think after that, after sort of four or five million, I think you're into a different, you're into different problems. And, and my business never got that big. So it'd be quite hard for me to advise or at least feel confident dealing with somebody who's dealing with a business much, much bigger than, than mine ever was. I think I'd probably feel a bit of a fraud doing that. Although having said that, you know, the problems are all still the same. It's marketing or strategy or sales or cash flow or finance or usually staff. It's just bigger, right? Same problem, just different Same size. problems, just a different zero on the end. <laughs> yeah. And after a while, the zeros sort of blend into each other after a while too, doesn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. bizarre. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot today. Um, I think the final message is probably actually actually there is there is one and again I've picked this and I I keep saying the same things I picked this up somewhere else and I and I do I do a lot of listening and reading um, and this it was all about um, opportunities and the fact that people go oh, I'm too scared to do that 
And, and there were three things, there were three concepts to this. One was, um, whatever the problem is, you're not alone, particularly in business. There's always somebody who's going to be able to advise you. So that's number one. But the next two were really, really, I thought were great. Or ask yourself two questions. Number one, what's the worst that could happen? And number two, what's the best that could happen? And what you'll find is the imbalance between the best that could happen versus the worst that could happen is so big on, in a positive way that there's no reason why you wouldn't do it. Mm. If you can, you must. And it, it, you know, it's even something as simple as... Um, I'm going to send an email to, I don't know, the CEO of a big company. What's the worst that could happen? Mm. He ignores it. What's the best that could happen? You might get a contract out of it. You know, how big is that imbalance that, you know? It's proportionate, isn't it, right? You know, because why is yes. there certain things? And I mean, I've, I've sort of young kids and, you know, when they're learning to walk and all that, they don't sort of go tried a couple of times wasn't really for me you know <laughs> but that's because yeah. the experience of what you see around you is everyone else is walking so therefore yeah. you know this is it's you know i will keep trying and trying again you know yeah. um, as you say it's whether it's reaching out to the ceo or asking somebody they might say no they might say nothing oh god yeah. heaven forbid they might say yes you know and Absolutely. What, what then? Go and kiss a couple of frogs and see what happens, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it is. It's, it's a lot of it is frog kissing. Mm, mm. That's great. Phil, that's been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing today. It's been great to, to hear about your passions and really what's going on. I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, there you go. You just, you just saw my wife just wander past. So she, <laughs> she's, she's the other half of the business. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Oh, I love it. That's what it's all about, right? You know, you get to enjoy these things now. That's what it's all about. Fantastic. Oh, thank you very much, Phil. Cheers. Bye. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, oh boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.